Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about the Hall of Presidents. Now, if you know anything about me, it's that you know that I'm a little bit of a history buff, and I kind of like in a weird way, the Hall of Presidents. Look, I know it's a great place to come in out of the sun and sit in the air conditioning and maybe take a little nap. But there's a history lesson in there, in that edutainment sense, where Disney is teaching you something about the history of the presidency and maybe a little bit about the history of the United States as well. So there's something kind of compelling to it. Plus, of course, it's another attraction that Walt Disney had a hand in creating. It was fascinating to him. The presidency was something that he was very intimately interested in, so he, was, he wanted to create a show around it. So there's a connection to Walt in a way. Plus, of course, there's the fact that the, the show itself was always interesting. Every time there was a new president, there was a change made to the show, whether they were just adding that new president audio animatronic or whether they were actually modifying the show. It was always kind of intriguing. So there was a sort of a neat thing about the Hall of Presidents that made it kind of compelling. And of course, being the only one in the entire world, no other park has a Hall of Presidents, it's kind of neat. It's kind of an interesting place. So as you know, I've done a, a, near, a number of podcasts about it. Uh, if you listen back in my archives, and I'll put links to it in my show notes page, you can hear uh, different podcasts about the history of the Hall of Presidents. Uh, some of the uh, show, all of the shows, each of the shows uh, run through in, in, in their entirety so you can hear about it. And I tell some of the stories about some of the changing of it. So it's kind of interesting in a way. So I've done all that. And then in uh, I, I had a plan for uh, the uh, 2016 election because Disney had announced that they were going to change the Hall of Presidents again and make it more about the history of the presidency and not have whoever the winner of the 2016 election was speak in the uh, Hall of Presidents. That was the plan. They had written a script for it. They had started doing some of the work on it. And this was before even the primaries were done. They'd started working on this. So they had no idea who was going to be the president. This was just something Disney had in mind. So flash forward to the 2016 election, 45 wins, and immediately turns to Disney and says, hey, I want to be in the Hall of Presidents. Disney says, sorry, we've already made plans to do something else. And then there's a back and forth that happens. Now, Disney will soft sell it now and tell you it really wasn't such a big deal. They were fine with it. It wasn't a big, you know, that was the plan all along, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't. 45 said that if they didn't feature him, he was going to badmouth the company and he was going to boycott the company or call for a boycott of it or whatever other things he was going to do with his newfound power. So Disney ultimately relented and decided to let him have a say in the show. Now, there was a more back and forth that happened for a little bit after that, that uh, 45 wanted to go ahead and create his own audio with no editing and no ability to change anything. But Disney was afraid that that might actually alter the show and some of the concepts of the show, and perhaps he might act, tell some half-truths or outright lies. If they had no editing capability, they had no idea what they were going to get. So more back and forth ensued. 
and ultimately they agreed to have him record something that they could at least see what it was before they agreed to put it in the show. And that's the way it worked out. Now, here's the thing. To me, he was bullying Disney. He was taking a private company, well, publicly traded company, and he was actually attacking them and telling them what they had to do for his own ego. And I had a problem with that. I had a problem with that from the first day they started having this argument till the day, well, till today, really. So I've had some issues with it. So for that reason, that specific reason, I never saw the Hall of Presidents with him in it. And I've never played the audio from the show in my podcast. That's just the way it is. I felt really weird about the whole thing. It just seemed like a strange place to be in. Like I said, I like the Hall of Presidents, but I thought he was sort of belittling the Hall of Presidents to a degree, and it bothered me a lot. So I made an executive decision not to talk about it. And that's all fine and well. You know, everything's okay there. It's just, that's the way it is. Look, I have my concepts, my own thoughts about his politics and what he does and who he is as a person. And that's not really what this is about. This is very specifically about the way he treated Disney. I just had a problem with it. So flash forward again to the 2020 election, and I had decided that it was time to put that aside. Look, there's a history lesson in here, and this is what it is. This is the Hall of Presidents, and for whatever it's worth, that show is still historically relevant. And so I thought maybe I'd go ahead and play it in my podcast. And I thought as the election was coming around, I'd go ahead and you know find time, find a slot where I could put it in there. Now, there's so much happening with Disney around that I decided to hold off and actually wait to play it and maybe play it closer to uh, the inauguration. But then after the election, there was a lot of angst, a lot of stuff that happened. Look, the, one of the things about the presidency is it's very important to have the peaceful transition of power. And a certain someone, who I will not name, felt that that wasn't necessary. In fact, he decided to belittle the entirety of the de democratic process and undermine the election integrity, which again, I have an issue with, but for different reasons than I had an issue with him belittling Disney. This is a bigger problem. So I'm like, well, maybe I can hold off doing the podcast for a little bit longer. There's still other stuff to talk about. I can wait a little more. And then came that day in January where he decided to incite a mob. He decided to basically get a, a number of people to riot, to create insurrection, to be domestic terrorists. And by definition, he committed sedition against the United States. This is a very big deal. This is one of those high crimes that you hear about. This is something that you can't forgive. 45 was, did something that's completely and totally against our Constitution, and he should be held to account for that. And I have a problem with it all the way around. And this is why I won't mention him by name. I don't think that it's appropriate to talk about him in the same breath that you talk about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, or FDR for that matter. This is a problem. There's a, an issue here. And I think it, there needs to be some reckoning that comes along with it. And I think that Disney should go ahead and close the Hall of Presidents and remove him from the show sort of immediately. They will in, in short order anyway, but I think they should just go ahead and close it now in principle. So what I decided to do was take the entirety of the show and edit out his segment. Look, he talks toward the end of the show. Uh, there's, a, there's a point which, in which they announce all of the presidents, and then they turn it over to him to speak for just a couple of minutes. So the show itself is pretty much what Disney had in mind with the addition of him at the end. So it's easy enough to basically just edit him out of the show and play the show, because I think the show itself is pretty good. Disney does a nice job of talking about the history of the presidency and including some of the highlights of great American moments. Now, maybe someday they'll want to include something about him. 
that's okay, but I think you need to put it in context in some way. And so my approach is to go ahead and give you what Disney had in mind for the show for the most part, excluding anything that 45 wanted to say or wanted to bring to your attention, because I think it's important to just give you the presidency as Disney sees it, because again, it harkens back to uh, Walt Disney and so forth. So I'm going to play for you now the audio from the Hall of Presidents, uh, more or less as it exists today. Now, I want to tell you that uh, the narrator in this case is Joy Vandervoort Cobb. She's a uh, instructor, a theater instructor at uh, Charleston College, uh, excuse me, the College of Charleston, and she actually has no connection to Disney whatsoever. She does some voiceover work. She's appeared in some films, but one of the things she's done, done in her life, and I found this kind of interesting, is that she's done some plays about social justice. So there's sort of a funny little dig Disney gets in at 45 in a way, because he's on the other side of that issue. So it's just kind of an interesting little thing. Anyway, I know you may not agree with me on my decision here, but this was my decision and mine alone, given that I wanted to present to you the Hall of Presidents, because that's something I like to do. I like to talk about the Hall of Presidents, but I didn't want to talk about 45 or let him speak in my podcast. So here we go. It's the Hall of Presidents, more or less, as Disney intended it before he got them to include him. And it's the show that I think you should hear. This program is dedicated to the memory of Walt Disney. In 1971, his love for America inspired the creation of the Hall of Presidents, a place to celebrate the optimism and goodwill he saw at the heart of the American story. Walt's vision was to honor the nation by honoring the American presidency. It is 1783, and the smoke is clearing in the wake of the Revolutionary War. Over the course of eight grinding years, General George Washington has led a force of shopkeepers, farmers, and Native American allies to victory over the greatest military power in the world. A new nation has been born, independent and free. The founders must form a national government. In 1787, through months of passionate debate, they create a written constitution. For the country's highest office, they imagine something new in the history of the world. A leader not born to power like a king or queen. A leader who has not seized power through conquest. A leader not separate from the people, but elected by the people from among the people, we the people. This is a new idea, an American idea, the idea of a president. The people don't know exactly what a president will be, but there is little doubt who it will be. George Washington's stature and bearing have marked him as a leader. His integrity has made him a great one. Washington knows that many generals who have led successful revolutions make themselves dictators or kings. Instead, he steps down from power 
and retires to his home, Mount Vernon. The world takes note, and George Washington becomes the symbol of American ideals. In the first presidential election, it's Washington by a landslide. The only doubt seems to be his own. He writes, Integrity and firmness is all I can promise. Integrity and firmness is exactly what we need. Everything he does as president will set a model for his successors. His final act may be the most important of all. After two terms, with no term limit in the Constitution and amid overwhelming support to stay in office, he steps down once again and hands power back to the people. He wants us to speak, to elect a new president. During the early years of the Republic, we choose leaders as different as Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Andrew Jackson. Elections are often bitter. Each president stands at that fiery intersection where personal character meets the challenges of the times. Some call the presidency a glorious burden. Jefferson calls it a splendid misery. We the people must choose well. We elect 15 presidents before the course of history brings us to the edge of a crisis like no other. A nation born of freedom still permits slavery. As the country pushes west, will new states be slave or free? The question produces bitter conflict. The issue rocks the election of 1860 and brings Abraham Lincoln onto the national stage. The tall, lanky, some say uncouth candidate from Illinois is a master of words at a time when speeches are printed in full for people to read. A house divided against itself cannot stand, he has said. With Lincoln's election, the house does indeed divide. Civil War. Eleven states secede from the Union. The war becomes a defining passage in the American story. The president's own inner strength and depth of character changed the course of history. Lincoln had come up the hard way on the American frontier, desperately poor, with less than a year of formal schooling. His early years were scarred by tragedy, the death of his mother, his sister, his first love. He struggles with depression, but never loses his determination to rise above it. He once said he's driven by a desire to leave the world a little better place for having lived in it. The war rages. Lincoln fights to preserve the Union and end slavery. Neither is a sure thing. At Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, six months after one of the bloodiest battles of the war, the president dedicates a cemetery to the thousands of soldiers who died there in words we can never forget. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition 
that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and the government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. The blood of over half a million Americans is spilled in this civil war. President Lincoln's enduring hope is to give true meaning to the sacrifices of so many, to lead us to that new birth of freedom. With the end of the war and the end of slavery, a new birth truly begins. As we roll toward the 20th century, settlers roll west on wagon wheels and railroads connect the nation coast to coast. Millions of immigrants pour in from Europe and Asia. Population doubles. Our economy triples. Our standing among nations rises. We need presidents who can lead both at home and abroad. At the same time, a young Theodore Roosevelt is retreating from New York politics and personal tragedy. The death of his wife and his mother on the same day in the same house. In the badlands of North Dakota, he rethinks his life and the life of his country. He returns stronger in body and spirit. His renewed energy is just what his country needs. American industry is booming, but social tensions are rising. A progressive movement is bubbling up, pushing for change, and change is needed in the working and living conditions in cities. The gap widens between rich and poor. The demand for change grows stronger. Teddy Roosevelt is a knight on a crusade. He speaks with force and vitality in clear terms that make colorful headlines at a time when mass market newspapers have become the new media. To define his foreign policy, he borrows a phrase from an African proverb. 
speak softly, and carry a big stick. But his greatest accomplishments are made at home. He breaks up giant monopolies, protects workers' rights, and calls for a square deal for all Americans, rich and poor, capitalist and wage earner. And injustice. And 
we shall overcome. One of the agreements that President Sadat and Prime Minister Begin are signing tonight is entitled A Framework for Peace in the Middle East. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You have lost too much, but you have certainly not lost America.
Once again, we place our trust in the idea of a president, as we have from the beginning. My fellow citizens, no event could have filled me with greater anxieties than that notification on the 14th day of April, 1789, that you had selected me to lead our nation. But it was with the confidence of my fellow citizens that I took an oath. 35 simple words that have been repeated by every American president throughout history. The presidency of the United States is a role unique in the world, an office entrusted to each president by us, we the people. Therein lies the genius of that new idea, now over 200 years old. A new idea our presidents have turned into a great American idea again and again. Inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation, right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. And finally today, for my One Little Spark segment, I wanted to talk about something that's a little bit near and dear to my heart, and that would be the Skipper Chuck show. If you grew up in South Florida in the 1960s or 70s, you know exactly what this show is. This was a children-oriented TV show, where it was sort of in the genre of maybe Howdy Doody or Captain Kangaroo or Mr. Rogers or Barney for that matter, any of those shows. Uh, it was sort of the same sort of thing where you had a children's variety show. Chuck Zink was your host and he would do all these clever little bits where he would talk about things, but he would try and educate and entertain along the way. And he always had kids in the audience or maybe 35 kids in the audience for any show. And I wound up going to several shows in my youth and it was always a good time. And I remember it fondly as something that was really interesting. And I used to watch the show. I think it was on every day, a couple days a week. I can't remember now. But anyway, it was on a lot. And uh, it was a really entertaining show. And the um, thing about it was Chuck Zink had sort of an influence in South Florida. He moved here after World War II, uh, settling here, and actually got to work on the Jackie Gleason show that was out of Miami Beach. He was the, uh, the voiceover. He was the guy who did the, uh, the announcing for the show. So he had a little notoriety, and he went on after that to do the Skipper Chuck show, and then he did some other shows. He did a little radio work, and he had a couple of other shows that he did later. But why it's relevant to the uh, One Little Spark segment. One of the things that he did was he helped integrate South Florida's community, at least from the children's perspective. So when he started the show, uh, there was mostly kids who were white coming into the show. And one day, you would call in to get tickets. That's the way you would get to the show. And there was often a waiting list, but one day he was walking by the office where they were taking the calls for kids to come in, and he heard somebody say, well, are you black? <laughs> and that struck him. He's, he goes, why do I care? So he instructed people there to not ask that question anymore, just invite everyone. And as a result, the, uh, the community there in the, uh, they had where they had 30, 30 to 35 kids sitting in the stands was a mishmash of different kids from different backgrounds, different colors, different everything. 
And it made it a much more compelling show and much more interesting. And I think that's why it spoke to me in a way, because it was very open-minded. The 1950s and 60s in South Florida were still a little bit segregated. Well, barely segregated. South Florida. Florida is still the South. And when you got into the 70s, there was still talk of racial overtones. So it was really interesting that he took the time to bring people together and wanted to show kids that we could all be together. And I think that's part of the reason that I'm socially conscious in that way. It just kind of made an impression on me along the way. And I think that's why I wanted to bring this up. So one of the things he did at the end of every show was he talked about three important tenets of the world, peace, love, and happiness. He would hold up three fingers and he would say, remember kids, peace, love, and happiness. And he had a little song he'd do that the kids would all sing along to. And it was just about bringing those viewpoints together, getting people to think a little bit and be yourself and be honest with each other and be with each other. And I just wanted to kind of remind you about that. It was a simpler time back then, but yet racial tensions were high. There was a lot of other things happening, but Skipper Chuck brought us all together. Peace, love, and happiness. And that's what I want to remind you about. Always try to keep up with that. Peace, love, and happiness. That's what we should be about. So I'd like to encourage you to do that and be that, make that part of your life. Embody what Skipper Chuck had out there. So that's my show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.